The first reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, and you'll find this on page 1093. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading of this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 24, which you'll find on page 1062. Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? 
Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not believe, did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. I'm delighted to be speaking to you today. I'm speaking from this very, very beautiful chapel here in the palace at Wells. And it's a great privilege to send my greetings and love to all of you right across the diocese on this Pentecost Sunday. I'm recording this in advance of moving down here, but I've begun to bring things across. So whenever I come down, I bring something with me. So my move from Hampshire to Somerset uh, is becoming a reality. And one of the things that I've brought down in advance is this crozier. And it was a gift to me from a retired priest in Portsmouth Diocese who I knew. And uh, this lovely shepherd's crook uh, here at the, the head of the staff is something which he fashioned out of a yew tree from the church uh, where he worshipped. Uh, and when he'd made that, he said to me, now do you have a stick, do you have a staff that I could use uh, in order to, to complete the crozier? And I said to him, I've got just the thing that you need. And so this beautiful uh, stick here was cut from hazel in my own garden. Uh, and I used it. It was blackened uh, and it was distressed in lots of ways. And I used it to stir up my bonfires. One of the things that I love to do when I can is to have a good bonfire. Uh, and especially one that might burn for two or three days. But a good bonfire needs stirring and prodding in order to keep it ablaze. And we're the same as Christians. We need to be stirred, we need to be prodded uh, in order that we might be ablaze with the love of God. And one of the things that I'm very clear about as I uh, continue and begin my ministry here in the diocese is that each and every day I need to ask God the Holy Spirit to stir me up uh, in order that my life might reflect uh, faithfully that the love of Christ. Many of you will be listening to this on Pentecost Sunday, and I hope that the joy and the delight of the Holy Spirit is very much with you. And you've probably just heard read a reading from the book of Acts. 
And it describes the coming of the Holy Spirit in vivid and apocalyptic images. Throughout the Old Testament, fire is a sign of judgment and wind is a sign of power and of life. The Spirit comes and fills the house where the disciples have gathered. The Spirit comes and fills their lives. The Spirit comes and fills their speech. So much so that the crowd think that the disciples are filled with new wine. But Peter stands up and explains to the crowd that they're not drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning is far too early to have a cocktail party. This is the promised Holy Spirit of God. And we read that the crowd are bewildered and utterly amazed. And understandably so, because they're hearing the word of God preached and proclaimed in their own language. We hear of Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Cappadocians, Phrygians, Pamphylians, and all the rest of the names that are there. A very daunting list of names that means that nobody wants to read the lesson on Pentecost Sunday. But what it says to us is that the whole world was there, that the Holy Spirit is God's gift for all people. Whilst we read that the crowd are bewildered and utterly amazed, we're not told what the disciples felt like. I'm sure they were equally bewildered and amazed to find themselves on the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Only a few days before, they'd been locked away in an upper room for fear of the authorities. And at the Last Supper, Jesus promised his disciples that when he returned to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be with them. And now the Spirit had come. And the Spirit gives to those first disciples a confidence and a hope and a message of joy that they cannot keep that they cannot contain. For the Spirit hasn't been given for them alone, but in order that the whole world might know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as Peter says in that first Pentecost sermon, so that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord might be saved. The experience the disciples had must have been exhilarating, and terrifying at the same time. And perhaps it's the same for us today, to invoke, to invite the Spirit to come into our lives is not to ask God to give us a gentle nudge. It's asking him to stir up the fire that's within us so that we may blaze, be on fire with the love and the joy and the peace of Christ. This winter, uh, Somerset, as you know only too well, suffered terrible flooding which caused real and lasting problems for whole communities. And I've already met and spoken with a number of people who had to live through very severe difficulties. And yet I'm amazed and delighted to have heard the many stories about the neighbourliness, care, support which people gave and people received. And it's quite clear to me that the churches were at the very, very heart of all the good things that were happening through that difficult time. But as many of you will know and perhaps also have experienced from those days, 
Floods bring with them surging, churning, and sometimes untamable and unstoppable waters. Wind, water, fire, these are not tame images. So when we ask the Spirit to come and to fill us and to burn within us, we're asking that we might be stirred up and asking that we might be made less comfortable. The experience of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, caused the crowd to be bewildered and utterly amazed. They were disturbed by what they experienced. I'm sure the hymn, Shine Jesus Shine, is familiar to most of you. And in that hymn, we're invited to sing these words. Shine Jesus Shine, fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze, set our hearts on fire. Flow, river flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. That wonderful hymn takes us to the very heart, the meaning and the joy of Pentecost. It challenges us to let the wind and the fire of the Spirit sweep through our lives, sweep through our imagination, sweep through our speech and our minds, so that we become people who are on fire with the love of God. Like the first disciples, we too will probably find this to be both exhilarating and terrifying. The power, the presence, the peace which transformed the lives of those first disciples made them a force to be reckoned with and changed the destiny of the whole known world. And so today, Pentecost Sunday, right across the diocese and indeed right across the world today, as we open ourselves to that same Holy Spirit, we're asking that the Lord will lead us into new things in following him, so that in his name we may faithfully serve the people, the churches, the communities where we live and worship. The services of morning and evening prayer for Pentecost begin with these words. Send your Holy Spirit upon us and clothe us with power from on high. Alleluia. So as we celebrate this Pentecost, may that be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us and clothe us with power from on high. For your glory's sake. Amen. Alleluia. In a moment, we're going to sing that hymn that uh, the bishop spoke of, Shine, Jesus, Shine. But before we do, I think it would be nice just to spend a moment in quiet. Do we dare to invite the Holy Spirit to really touch our lives? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Bishop Peter. Thank you for his passion for you. 
but clearly his desire to see this kingdom changed in your name is not just words, it comes from the depths of his heart. We pray that we might be a people here that allow your Holy Spirit to so move within us that our town is changed in your name. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Bring change. Bring fire. Bring renewal. Bring healing. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. And so let's stand together and sing, Shine, Jesus, Shine. pray that there would indeed be light as you blaze your fire, burn your fire within each one of us to proclaim your truth, your love, your power in your world. Come, we pray, as once again we open your word, open our hearts, our minds, our very souls to be filled, filled with the food and freshness of the Holy Spirit who longs to bring everything that belongs to Jesus by right and make it our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The clock strikes, 11 o'clock. We're nearly there. Two sermons, wow, you're lucky people today. Gosh, I thought, should I let just the bishop do it? And I thought, oh, no, no, I must, must, must earn my crust, I thought, earn my crust. Anyway, because I've been in Yorkshire this week. Uh, Yorkshire, York, very flat vowels in Yorkshire. Uh, so um, they send their greetings to you from Scargill Community, where we've been pre- teaching all week, Anne and I. It's been a lovely, very special week uh, for us being back there, where I first became a Christian, and then we went on community. Uh, so they send their greetings to you. And also greetings from Hazel, uh, who sends her greetings, uh, blessed Pentecost, a blessed Pentecost to each one of us here, one of our mission partners in Ethiopia. Great. Thank you for praying for us. We really felt uplifted by prayer. It's quite a long journey. We're quite tired. But God did beautiful, beautiful things. He's a beautiful God. And we hear that in the sense of Luke's gospel. I love Luke's gospel because it's all about people that people matter to Luke. And through Luke's great word of compassion and Jesus' compassion to people, Jesus has a great heart for people that Luke, as a physician, obviously reveals. And we're looking a bit, uh, to begin with this morning, at the story of Emmaus. We're going back to Resurrection Place. The novelist George Eliot called it the most beautiful story in the world. What a lovely thing to say about the road to Emmaus story. It's in Luke 24 if you want to follow it. It's a story that takes up the whole of Luke 24. And we're reading from the final verses, often forgotten as they don't fit into normal lectionary readings. And then Luke himself goes on to write the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, bringing, as we celebrated this morning, the birth of the church to life, to go out into the world, to proclaim Christ and to make disciples and to make him known. And the situation is as follows. Jesus has revealed himself to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize him at first, which is interesting. Many people in the world just don't recognize Jesus. They do not recognize him. Some who perhaps have known him in the past but have lost him and forgotten him and wandered away. Who are those people for you? 
But then they do recognize him in a significant moment where he breaks bread. Do this in remembrance of me, he told them. And in breaking the bread, they are remembering, putting back together again their memories of Christ. And this leads to them to be so startled and so energized, we read, that they run all the way back to Jerusalem. That is seven miles running. Now, we know Alex and Karen could do that. We know that. But actually, I'm not sure I could run seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem. Because remember, it was late in the day. It was dark. They might have fallen over rubble. But they were so ablaze and aflame filled them of the truth that Christ was now alive. They just simply had to go back to the morning 11 disciples, they thought, in Jerusalem and share this great news that Jesus was alive. And as they get there, as they tumble into the room, so their stories begin to tumble and mingle. You'll never guess we've seen Jesus alive. And they reply, so have we. And then we read now, it happens again. And Jesus comes. Imagine. Jesus comes among them again. And the disciples, we read, are terrified. They actually believe he's a ghost. And Jesus very kindly reveals that he's not a ghost. He is there. He's present. Look, a ghost does not have flesh and blood, as you see I have. And to prove this, he calls to them to bring food. And trembling, they bring him some fish and some honeycomb. Interesting menu. Never had it myself, but perhaps it may be good. If God can eat it, it could be good for us all. And then in front of them, he says this. If only you had read the scriptures. If only you had thought, reflected, and believed. You wouldn't be surprised now. The Messiah will suffer and die and rise. And then the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the world, beginning in Jerusalem. And listen, you are to do the job. You are to wait. You thought I was a ghost. Wait, and I will send upon you the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, who will fill you, fill you with power that you may bear witness to me. And some weeks later, as Jane read, it happened. The day of Pentecost came, and the disciples were transformed, spilling boldly onto the streets of the city of Jerusalem, setting out to turn the world upside down as Peter began by proclaiming the good news of Christ. And many that day believed, 3,000 believed, and were baptized. And now it's 2014, and we gather as they did. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Well done. Very good. If you belong to Christ, you know that truth. You know that the spirit already lives in you. He has brought you to faith in Jesus Christ. He's given you gifts, and I thank God for the gifts he's given people in this church to help build it up, to edify it, to grow it, to deepen its faith. The gifts that people have been given here, everybody's been given a gift, and it's great to release those gifts as we see to help build up the body. We also unpack literally the fruits of the Spirit this morning. And he's developing in all of us the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all those that we showed this morning. And they're growing in us sometimes slowly, maybe painfully, in your life and in mine. So we have the Spirit, but listen, the Spirit who already dwells in you longs to come again, to overwhelm us to enlighten us, to strengthen us, to bring new life so that we may go on and serve Christ 
serve him well and to make him known wherever we go in our world. And the spirit who is with us longs to keep coming to us. Like the first disciples, we are invited to wait until the power is released. And when the spirit comes, we see, he does two things. Firstly, he will bring us a new aliveness. We will come alive. Many people have spoken when they first received the Spirit of a new way of seeing, almost like in color. But how alive do you feel this morning? Ooh, some people look really alive. Some people are, oh dear. Oh. And some people, I think, will be saying, Simon, I feel more dead than alive this morning, actually. Spiritually speaking, your bios life is wonderful. Your heart's beating, your lungs are full. Beautiful day. Open the curtains, the sun is shining. But we're also Zoe life, the spiritual life. How is that with you this morning? The Spirit's work is to bring you alive. And T.S. Eliot's line in Murder in the Cathedral expresses the apathy that some of us might be having, and some may be having even about the church. We do not wish anything to happen, he writes. Seven years we have lived quietly, succeeded in avoiding notice, living and partly living. There have been oppression and luxury. There have been poverty and license. There has been minor injustice. Yet we have gone on living, living and partly living. How different it is when we come alive when we are alert, when we are responsive. And I was once encouraged to read this book by a wise man, Bishop V. Taylor's book called A Matter of Life and Death. Not a very inspiring cover, really, on the front of it. A very small book. But in this, Bishop Taylor describes aliveness as so. If you pick up an old brown tennis ball from the long grass in the palm of your hand, and then it starts to wriggle, you drop it quickly. And when you see it is only the children's hamster on the loose again, your alarm seems ridiculous. But at that moment of contact when you realized, it's alive, your reaction was so prompt and so was the hamsters. And Taylor goes on, what evidence is there that we Christians are partakers of life and will share his resurrection, unless it be some more intense aliveness in us and through us to the world, here and now, not just then. And I pray, as the bishop's been praying, that the Holy Spirit will descend upon the people in whom he dwells, causing us, as Jesus said, to have the Spirit babble up, bubble up within us, bringing new life bringing us alive to the reality of God who does rule over all the earth, whose purposes are good and true, alive to the pain and beauty of our broken world and the specific challenges that there are for us here in Walcott. The Spirit would bring us alive to the wonderful challenge of discipleship in the great knowledge that as we believe in God, God believes in us. I'm sending you, Jesus told the disciples, into the world for such a time as this where the nation are hungry and thirsty. We had a wonderful wedding here yesterday full of believers but also non-believers. And what spoke to the non-believers was the simple joy that welled up in the Christians around us as we gave thanks to God for his gift of love. An aliveness that challenges 
my self-preservation, my sad caution and cynicism, aliveness that causes me to move out of my comfort zone, enabling me to take some risks, to meet people that I might possibly not want to meet, to cross bridges, to break down barriers, to expose all that sets itself up in opposition to the rule and reign of God. And so the Holy Spirit came on the, on the Emmaus Road, causing the hearts of the disciples to do what? To burn within them. There is a passion as we are filled with the aliveness of God as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's the thing the Holy Spirit does. The heavenly teacher sent from God, shall your whole soul inspire. Your mind shall fill with sacred truth, your heart with sacred fire. And secondly, we're nearly there, isn't that good? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring new awareness. Our aliveness in Christ brings an awareness of his world. The disciples were sent out onto the streets of Jerusalem, out to the ends of the earth. And the call upon our lives to live and live his praise and glory. You are witnesses of these things. We really are witnesses to the truth of God. And I'm sending upon you what my Father promises. I'm in the wrong page now. Oh, here we are. That's great. And when the Spirit came, they went out, out of the safe retreat of the upper room, onto the hostile streets of Jerusalem out of this beautiful church with its vision of a home of grace, where? In the heart of the city. Wait in the city, says the risen Christ. And then at Pentecost, they go. They go out. They literally move. They do something. And Luke records in Acts 8 that Philip goes to the city of Samaria and proclaims Christ as Lord. And many believed. And then this. So there was great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. There was great joy here yesterday. There's great joy here this morning release as we began with the birthday party and our opening worship. So on this Pentecost morning, the challenge to us all is very simple, really. Are we prepared to open ourselves to the coming spirit? And as the bishop said, to the disturbing aliveness. Imagine inviting a fire into your house, a strong wind into your house, a flood into your house. A bit risky. But as he does so, the Spirit will bring a new aliveness. He will bring to us an awareness of a city in need of joy, a school in need of joy, Snow Hill Estate in need of joy. And do we have a vision as a home of grace at the heart of the city to bring joy and hope to our fragile, flawed, and fearful city? The great news of the Emmaus story as these disciples traveled with sadness to begin with, and the risen Christ comes and draws near to them. The great joy of this is that life is stronger than death. Life is stronger than death. And over this weekend, we have been reviewing, we've been remembering D-Day 70 years ago, when my dad, on June the 6th, 1944, was 21 years old and going over with other Marines, he was a Marine, going over to the beaches on his 21st birthday. And we're remembering there the sacrifice of lives that were laid down so that we might have life in a different way today. Costly, but new life has begun. But there's a remembrance too of death, and there's a lot of death in our society. The death of hope, the death of expectations that people have 
the death of desire of marriage, the death of relationships, the death of politics even. Do we trust it? Christ who has conquered death brings life and life is stronger than death. I was sat in my garden this morning at seven. It is so alive. It is amazing. There are just plants blooming, blooming marvelous it is. And there are bees all over them. There's life tingling, literally moves. And even in the Yorkshire Dales, I mean, where could you be on a sunny day but going along Upper Wolfdale? Many of you may know it. My goodness, is God not in the world in its aliveness? And we've been soaked, haven't we? Sadly, as the bishop said, too soaked for many people. But there is so much water that's soaked into the ground. The plants seem almost to be flourishing and abundant in life. And year upon year, winter gives way to spring, death to new life, this abundant life that many are speaking of. It's so green at the moment, isn't it? Isn't it green at Swainswick, Margaret, as you go to work every day? It's green and it fills you with joy, fills you with joy. That the Spirit comes to banish our deadness, to bring life and awareness and a power so that we can bear witness to the Lord of life and death. Can you catch this vision that Jesus had for the church that he set out before, before he left? Before I came, John Truscott came and asked some challenging questions to you as a church family. When asked what the prayer of people was for the church, four themes came across. Unity, one body, love, healing. Secondly, outward, outward focus, going out to the community, getting out there. Thirdly, a church for the local community, to use the building for the community, with the community, by the community. And fourthly, this was your prayer, the refreshing of God upon us, that he may send his spirit afresh and renew us, that we may bear witness to Christ as Lord. I believe, I do hope, I pray, I sense we are coming to a time of refreshing. But in that time of refreshing, we have to acknowledge that some of us are only partly alive, as Eliot profoundly writes. Like the earth of Britain, we too will need a new soaking. We will need to come alive, but how? And here's a picture I share with you this morning and conclude with. It's a big lake, and on the shoreline are three boats, a motorboat, a rowing boat, and a sailing boat. And how do you get to the other side of the lake? Many Christians leap into the motorboat. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can now sit back, and all will be well. He will carry me safely to the other side. I'm on my way to heaven, and I will not be moved. Is that you? Is that you today? If so... You're in the wrong boat. Beware. Paul says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Some of us may gravitate to the rowing boat. I like rowing boats. I met Anne, really, on a rowing boat on Lake Lucerne. But anyway, it's another story. Um, the people who go for the rowing boats, they are the activists, the ones who believe that everything depends on them. I often, myself, get into this boat. We grit our teeth. We will row in all weathers, striving to get the other side. Is that you? Please listen. Please listen, Simon. You do not have to build the kingdom. It already exists. Your task is simply to bear witness 
to unveil the presence of Christ. It is God that works in you to do his good pleasure. Listen, it is the sailboat. You get in, and yes, there's plenty to do. There is plenty to do in the body of Christ, all the pulling of ropes and the tackle as you move out onto the lake. But the wind is blowing, and you hoist the sail, and the wind catches it, and you move seemingly effortlessly through the water. That is it. That is the authentic life of discipleship. This is the life of the Spirit. Let God fill your sails this morning. It is the most exhilarating experience. You are ready. You are available. You have made the preparations and now the wind is blowing. And the Spirit will take you into all the places he has prepared for you to bear witness to Jesus Christ who is crucified, who is risen, who is reigning, and who is gloriously alive. Blow, thou cleansing wind from heaven. Burn thou fire within our hearts. Spirit of the Lord possess us. Fill our lives in every part. Mind of Christ, be thou our ruler. Word of truth, be thou our guide. Leave no part of us unhallowed. Come, O come, in us abide. Win the world, baptize the nations, open every blinded eye, leave no sinner unconvicted, leave no soul untouched and dry. Conquering love, take thou the kingdom, rule thou over all our days, then in glory and rejoicing, earth shall echo with your praise. May it be so. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray for one another. If you'd like to come and just ask God for a fresh pouring of that wind upon your life. Jesus breathed on the disciples. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're feeling partly alive this morning and you long for that aliveness. You long for the refreshing of the awareness and you long for the renewing of the power of God. Then come, simply come. And as Esther said, we simply need to ask. Ask and God will give. Let's pray. Lord God of the wild wind of heaven, send us your warm wind, we pray. Your fresh wind. Your gentle wind. Your mighty wind. It's what we want for Jesus' sake and for the world to know that he is Lord, here in Bath and to the very ends of the earth. So come and continue your work, Holy Spirit, to fill us, refresh us, revive us with the aliveness, the awareness that our hearts may burn within us. Burn within us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.